Hello, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Today's episode is the first of two that will discuss a topic that I've grown to be incredibly passionate about, food insecurity in college students. Around a year ago, I began a student work position where I was able to spend a ton of time thinking about food insecurity on my campus, St. Catherine University, and I've been heavily involved in working with the St. Kate's Food Shelf ever since. As a senior dietetics major, I've loved being able to tie my nutrition background into my work, and along the way, I've developed a huge interest in public health nutrition that I will definitely be carrying with me after I graduate. To discuss food insecurity and food shelves on university campuses, I interviewed Rebecca Layton. Rebecca works at the University of Minnesota, where she founded and now runs the Nutritious You Food Pantry, a project begun when she was a graduate student. Rebecca and I met for the first time when we recorded our initial interview and we had a fantastic conversation. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, that audio recording of our conversation was lost. Thankfully, Rebecca was kind enough to come back to talk to me all over again. In this podcast, featuring what is technically our second interview, we do occasionally reference what we talked about last time, meaning the first interview. I've left those references in and left this recording largely unedited for authenticity's sake. I'm incredibly grateful that Rebecca was willing to take time out of her very busy schedule to help me create this podcast episode. So here we go. So my first question was, what is your definition of food insecurity? Um, Let's see. My definition of food insecurity, I kind of use a mixture of a lot of the common definitions that are out there, but the one that I'm most attached to is the FAO definition um, that means being food insecure is a state of lacking reliable access to safe, affordable, nutritious food um, that meets your needs for an active, healthy lifestyle that also meets cultural preferences. So the cultural preferences is just a piece that I think has been added more recently, and um, we like to include that as well. It's a really loaded definition. So when thinking about the food shelf, the Nutritious You Food Pantry, how do you try and help the food pantry to meet the needs of students facing food insecurity? Um, Yeah, I think that one of the main focuses of Nutritious You when we started it and still going forward is providing that nutritious food, that piece that that I think is really important in the definition of food insecurity because... um, Although for some people it is really hard just to get any food, but a lot of times it's easy to get food that is loaded with calories and might be calorically dense but not nutrient dense. So we try to provide those foods that are a little bit harder to access, so getting that um, accessibility piece, the foods that are sometimes a little more expensive, um, fresh produce and things like that. Um, So trying to address the access of affordability and nutritious piece and then as well as reliable, we like to we're open at once a month, um, and then the culturally appropriate piece we're still working on. We um, definitely expanded to incorporating foods for our international student population, but then just recently we've been hearing some students um, that have East African food preferences. So considering how to incorporate that into our orders. Yeah, we always when students fill out the online survey when they leave our food shelf, we always ask if you have any suggestions for things you're not seeing, things you want us to order or things that you wish we had, like, tell us, let us Mm -hmm. know. And it's funny because students will request things like beverages, like they want coffee and tea, which is so interesting that those items are so wanted. And we try to meet the demand, but also thinking about, like, 
is that really nutritious? Like, what are we providing for those students by giving them coffee, yeah, for example? exactly. And where can we have the greatest impact? So, I, yeah, I struggle with that, too. Of, I mean, I drink coffee every day, so it's definitely a privilege and a nice thing. But if I'm going to spend our few resources, our few dollars from our um, in our budget, what can we get that might have the most bang for our buck, really? Yeah. Exactly. So my next question is sort of like a whole bunch of parts. Mm-hmm. But... Where did the idea from for the food shelf come from? And can you talk about the process of how that idea came to life? And then what were the challenges you faced as you began to set that up? Yeah, so the Nutritious Youth started as a class project, actually. So it was for, um, I was in my first year of my master's program, my master's of public health nutrition program. And it was a course called Community Nutrition Intervention. So we had to come up with like a theoretical, pick a real problem and come up with a theoretical intervention so that we could go through the process of, of learning how to write a budget and um, do a needs assessment and all that kind of stuff. So in the needs assessment phase, phase when we were kind of brainstorming what our interventions would be is when I found out the statistics at the University of Minnesota that 17.5% of students worry about their food running out and 10% of students were experiencing food shortages. Um, so when I heard those numbers, I thought... Um, that would be a great problem for us to solve for our class, but I also didn't want it just to be a class project. Um, so I knew I would carry it on once the class ended. So I went through the steps, and the class really helped lay the groundwork for the Nutritious U, but then once um, the course ended, I recruited about 10 undergraduate students, um, and that's the spring of 2016, and then we worked all through... Oh, no, sorry, I always mess this up. No, spring of 2016. And then um, in spring of 2017 is when we launched our first two pilots. Um, so the process of that was about a year, a year's worth of planning, uh, meeting with stakeholders, thinking who might support this idea and be on our side and champion the project, but also who might um, disagree with the idea or um, provide some opposition or um, who, who should we bring in early on to try to get them on our side and build some buy-in. So... Um, like our dining services, we worked with them early on and they actually became very supportive, although some people would think that a dining service wouldn't be that excited about a food pantry on campus. (laughs) Um, So that's just one example. And then um, we chose Boynton Health, our health clinic on campus. We worked with them really um, a lot through the planning phase and they kind of stood out as one of our biggest champions as well. Um, And so that was where the idea came from, too. Um, They decided, they said, why don't you just pilot it just to see who comes and how it works out um, before we invest and launch a full one. So that's when we did our um, pilot food pantry, the first one in February. And um, we had anticipated, we we estimated that maybe we would serve 400 students over the course of three days. That decision was made based on how much money we had gotten from a grant. Um, And... We had met with a lot of other local food pantries and then um, campus food pantries and other schools similar to our size. And um, that's how we kind of estimated that number. But what we had happen was we had um, 491 students come on the first day of that pilot pantry. So we ran out of food pretty quick. And um, that helped us know for the next one to fundraise more. And we um, ordered more food. And so the second food pantry, we had about 6,000 pounds of food and served um, just under 1,000 students. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so those are a lot. So that's how um, that's how the idea came to be. And during the pilots and during deciding when, what to do with our permanent food pantry and continued, our biggest challenge is space, which I think is what a lot of um, other campus food pantries face as well, um, just finding a space that is open and welcoming and a good location on campus, but also big enough for all your food and, and all of that. 
Um, so that continues to be one of our struggles. Mm-hmm. So who comes to your food shelf or what populations of students do you see the most often? I know for our food shelf at St. Kate's, we see everyone from first year students to student parents to people in the graduate program, the associates program. It's really all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, we have a pretty diverse group that comes to the food shelf in terms of um, year in school. So I think our undergraduate population, we have more undergraduates show up to our pantry than graduates, but our undergraduates have... um, the population is much higher than grad students, but we have found it challenging to reach grad students through advertising. They're just not as connected and always on campus as much as undergrads are. And then um, demographic-wise, we have a very high proportion of our pantry participants are international students, um, which has been shocking to us, but makes perfect sense once you start talking to them that um, there's not a lot of the same resources for international students as there are for domestic students. Um, It's harder for them to get jobs, um, to work outside of campus because of their student visa status, and they don't um, have access to government assistance programs. So we have, um, so they come out to the pantry a lot. And then um, we, at the beginning, we were targeting our advertising, and we still do try to reach out to to students that the research indicates are most likely um, to be food insecure, who are disproportionately affected by food insecurity. So that's um, low-income students, first-generation students of color, student parents, and so we, we also have a lot of student parents, which um, those are some of my favorite clients, when, especially when they bring their kids to the pantry. Oh, I love when our student parents bring their kids. Yeah, yeah, it's super cute, and then you feel really great, like, putting a pear in the hands of a toddler who's going to, I don't know, hopefully enjoy that flavor and then eat it throughout the rest of their life. Yeah, I had a conversation with a little girl about a month ago where she said she loved apples, and I was like, well, do you like peanut butter? And she was like, of course I like peanut butter. And I was like, have you ever tried apples and peanut butter? And her mind was absolutely blown. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And those are some of the most popular items at our pantry, and probably for that reason, because it is a great snack. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly. So when a college student is struggling with food insecurity, what issues are they facing like in their lives as they deal with that? Yeah, so um, what we found with our work in this is that food insecurity and other basic needs insecurities like housing insecurity as well are oftentimes symptoms of other unmet needs. So oftentimes if you're food insecure, it's not just about your access to food. Um, It's usually um, really closely related to finances. And so um, if you, if because if you had all the finances, all the resources in the world, you could figure out a way to get food delivered to you. You could get it off. We have a lot of um, grocery delivery services around campus, Instacart, Amazon. There's plenty of ways to get food. Um, so we we really narrowed it down to finances being a big issue. Cost of tuition, cost of housing is rising all over the country and in big cities like ours, which I'm sure your school can relate to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are oftentimes the struggles that they face. And then a myriad of other different um, barriers depending on kind of what population they're, they're in. So we know that first-generation students, um, they don't sometimes usually have that knowledge of their parents going to school and giving them insights and tips and tricks. And their parents are often unfamiliar with the whole financial aid FAFSA system. Um, so we hear that a lot um, from our financial partners that we work with on campus. And then... Um, yeah, I mean, it all kind of depends on what sort of segment of the population they're at, but it all it really boils down a lot to finances. Mm-hmm. So here's a question, because when I work with the food shelf, I'm a student intern, so I'm getting paid. But whenever I talk to people about the work I'm doing, I always hear people asking, like, what can I do? How can I volunteer? How can I help? So I guess, where do you see on your campus um, students wanting to support their peers facing food insecurity? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, students do, yeah, we have that same thing where they want to be involved, and especially when they visit the pantry. they People people don't like taking things for free as much as that's a misconception. People don't like to accept handouts, so the students oftentimes want to give back. And the main um, overwhelming way that we've seen students show support is through volunteering, which is really helpful for us because we are open once a month. So just th four days, three days a month we're open, and then one day is set up. Um, and so that's about... Um, 25 to 30 hours that we need volunteer coverage mm -hmm. and so um, and the first day especially we're lifting usually close to 6,000 pounds of food carrying it from the ground level up to the second floor we have an elevator but it's a lot of lifting and shifting mm -hmm. food around um, so student volunteerism my chefs fill up right away send out the sign up the week before and we have tons of turnout for students I have a list of over 200 students that keeps growing um, that want to be involved in the food pantry so that is one way um, and students always want to partner on awareness campaigns or having us table at their events um, and are really supportive about spreading the word um, to their, their networks, which, um, as we know, word of mouth and through your, hearing something through your peers is one of the best ways to bring people into a service. Um, so that way, and we haven't had too many students want to do food drives, but um, sometimes they'll do events where they ask for a canned item when a student's entering their event, and that's um, really nice, a nice way for them to give back to. Mm-hmm. So where do you see, this is a two-part question, where do you see the future of the food shelf? And then where do you see that further work is needed on your campus to address food insecurity? I think that is a great question that goes well together. Um, oftentimes I've had this asked in meetings and presentations of what does success look like for the food pantry? Or people ask, you know, when are you going to be open twice a month? And when are you going to be open every single day? And um, growing, growth is like the biggest way that people measure success and I've responded that success to us is not having to be open more often. Success would be that students don't need the food pantry. It would mean that we are helping them um, as far upstream as possible or as preventatively and proactively as possible so that they don't need to be using the food pantry. We want to find ways to get more money into students' hands and more resources earlier on before they get into this crisis mode um, of needing to visit a food pantry or use other emergency resources on campus. Um, so the work that I'm doing to help combat that and address that on campus, in addition to running our food pantry, is we've convened um, a coalition that we call Thrive, the Basic Needs Coalition. And it's about 35 different campus departments and organizations that have come together, um, and that varies from departments, the, our student finance office, and our financial aid office, and our dining service, and all of the different student groups, um, departments that work with, um, and interact with students of those disproportionately affected populations. Um, so they came together and we met monthly from April through August and now we meet once a semester. And that group is really trying to challenge ourselves to, um, like I said, think as far upstream as possible and preventatively um, looking at the root causes and the drivers of food and housing insecurity on our campus and thinking creatively and broadly about how we can solve that um, beyond just providing food. and. And um, those, those first solutions we're trying to think um, creatively, like I said. And then out of that process came what I'm most excited for as our student task force. So we have a group of 10 students that have, um, have currently have or in the past experienced food and our housing insecurity. And that's called our um, Basic Needs Coalition Student Task Force. And we're using a human-centered design approach, which really just means putting the people, the population that is most affected by the problem at the center and letting them help um, teach you about their experiences and come up with solutions that will 
uh, most greatly impact them. Um, because obviously, if you want to know what more about this problem and how you can creatively solve it, ask those that live it every single day. Um, so that has been also really fun and exciting. So we're kind of still in the exploring phase and better understanding the issue. And by, by that, I don't mean you know getting more data and looking at more statistics, but understanding the motivations behind the behaviors and why students, what, what it looks like to be a student today. And then um, next semester will be um, the solution-oriented piece, which everyone's very excited about, of thinking, what can we do um, beyond a food pantry to help solve these problems? Mm -hmm. I think that's so exciting. Yeah. And the way that our food shelf came to be was a group of faculty members who formed a little, they called it the Food Insecurity Project. Mm -hmm. So it was just a whole bunch of them really focused on learning about this idea of food insecurity on our campus and what they could do about it. And they tried a couple of different programs, one being like a healthy snack program mm -hmm. where they'd have snacks available on campus, which didn't really, it was a great idea, but it wasn't really reaching the people that it was meant to, and people didn't really understand what it was for. And that's how they came across the idea of a food shelf when they were thinking about, well, how else can we solve this problem? What other interventions can we try? And I think that's such a cool thing about public health and about public health issues is that there are so many different solutions, mm -hmm. and one solution is not going to be one size fits all. Like yeah. food shelves are fantastic. I love mm -hmm. the work that we both get to do with our food shelves, but not every place would necessarily benefit from a food shelf, and it's not the only solution. And like what you said, thinking upstream. Mm -hmm. So we have a food shelf, and what else are we doing? Yeah, exactly. It's We can't just get rid of the emergency programs. People need it, and so I'm very happy and thankful to be doing that work, and then it's great to think about what else. And what you said about your group, too, I think I think it's really interesting when different people get into, into the same room and people from different backgrounds and areas to talk about this issue. They bring such um, diverse thoughts, and I think you can really come up with something impactful then. So I'm glad to see that your school is doing a similar thing and had a similar group. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to work with the faculty members because we have like a nutrition professor, mm -hmm. but we also have a research librarian and a communications mm -hmm. professor and a history professor. So it's cool to have all those voices in a room with all those different experiences, yeah. giving their own ideas from their backgrounds. Yeah. Is there anything else about food insecurity or your work with the Nutritious U Food Pantry that you want people to know? Um, I think since I highlighted it pretty well earlier, I'll just um, reiterate that. I think um, I think the space, I think a lot of the college campuses are moving to this, of thinking more creatively and broadly about how to solve these problems because these are pretty complex, grand challenges that our students are facing. And with the way that um, tuition and house, cost of housing and everything is shifting, I think that we do need to start thinking more broadly because these are big burdens that we're putting on our students. College is, college is a lot different. It looks a lot different now than it did um, just a generation ago, just a couple decades ago. Um, so I'm excited about where everything is moving in this space, and I'm excited to see so many campuses. I think over 600 um, have campus pantries, and so many coming together and thinking more creatively and broadly about um, ways to, stri to strategically address this issue. So, yeah. Your food shelf was sort of your baby, and you got a bunch of students to help, and you got support from departments, and you did a pilot, and then you did a second pilot, and then it was mm -hmm. successful, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I guess what I get from that story is that it's possible for students mm -hmm. to make change on their own campus because sometimes as a student mm -hmm. now it feels as though ideas I have or things I think would be cool sometimes get bogged down mm -hmm. by all the red tape yeah. and all the administrative stuff. 
And I guess the cool thing about both of our food shelves mm-hmm. is that ours was also sort of a grassroots mm-hmm. movement. Like a bunch of faculty members got together and decided it was a good idea and they did all their own research and they partnered with the Sisters of St. Joseph who began St. Kate's back in the early 20th century and then their building is right next to our campus so we do the food shelf over in their building which is neat because we give in that way we give students the privacy and the anonymity of not having to parade through campus with their bags of groceries that they obviously got from the food Mm -hmm. shelf but it's also close enough to campus that students don't have to go so far out of the way they can still you know get their groceries on their way home from class or on the way back to their dorm and I think it's cool to have that partnership Mm -hmm. and to be able to work with the sisters like I've met so many great people over at um, Crondelet Center which is the building and then I've met so many faculty members through working with this project and I don't know where I was going with that but (laughs) no I think that is really cool and I think we did talk about this last time I think that it um, where the where the food pantry is located makes such um, has such an impact on it, and I think um, you do kind of have the best of both worlds. That it's just slightly off campus, but seems very similar and close to campus, and like you said, convenient to get on your way home after class. Um, because we really struggle with that balance of okay, if it's visible, maybe we're reducing stigma because we're saying like, hey, this is okay, but if stigma is still there and students are still ashamed, they're going to feel ashamed walking into our student union, which is where ours is held. And yeah, with that brown paper bag the rest of the day, everyone knows where that came from. Um, And it's just really interesting to see the students who come. I feel like it's such a mixed bag where some students are like, seem so proud of it and come with their friends and they talk about it all the time and talk about their struggles openly um, and are headed to class with their bag. And then other students um, just kind of keep their head down and nod when we greet them and shop through really quickly and kind of want to scoot out before anyone sees them. Um, So I always just struggle with how to balance that and, and not wanting to put it in a dark, creepy room in the corner mm-hmm. of campus, um, but also wanting to respect people's privacy. So I think you kind of have a cool system. Yeah, and I definitely see where I would love to have it just like in the center of campus, and yeah. I would love to like open up all the conversations that mm-hmm. we can have about the struggles that students are facing. Like statistics say that like one third of college students are facing food insecurity. That's a lot of people. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. <laughs> but then, a piece that I've really loved to focus on since I've started working with the food shelf is the idea of dignity Mm -hmm. and respecting the dignity that all of our students have who come to the food shelf, respecting their privacy, and then the dignity of them being able to come to the food shelf and choose the foods Mm -hmm. that they want to choose. I don't know how you guys do it, but we do, we organize it like a grocery store Mm -hmm. and the students are invited to come in and essentially shop it like Mm -hmm. a grocery store. We don't have necessarily limits on you know the number of cans of vegetables Mm -hmm. that they can take and we don't tell them oh you only get one protein option it's sort of choose what you need and uh, shop it the way you would at Target or Walmart or whatever. Yeah I really like that piece I love that you touched on the dignity piece and I think a lot of community food shelves as well as um, definitely campus food shelves are moving to that of just because someone is considered quote poor or Um, doesn't have the right resources doesn't mean that it's up to people in places of privilege to decide for them what they get. Um, So yeah, ours is set up exactly like a grocery store too and we put the produce first just to merchandise it and make it look beautiful and hopefully people will take more of that. Um, And we have it by food group. We do have to put limits on how much people can take just because of the fact that we're serving a thousand a month. Mm -hmm. So that can add up really quick and um, we could be cleared out but maybe given more resources and space we can expand that. Um, But I really do love that piece. And then another piece that I like to focus on is the equity piece of it, 
of making sure, and you've talked about this too, of making sure that there's enough of each item so that students who come and shop, like a grocery store, like you have the rows of um, the same kinds of beans or rows of beans in a section of, of um, those categories so that you can choose and it's not just that one lucky student who comes through and gets that really big jar of Nutella um, and no one else has access to that. So that's why um, we also prefer not really to do food drives. Um, and I know a lot of other food shelves um, and campus pantries that have these the monetary resources like to look at it that way too, that we can stretch your dollar so much further through the food banks that we purchase from and getting the bulk discount and sometimes even free items in mass quantities. So we can have a whole shelf full of canned corn that everyone gets to choose from. Um, so we, we try to steer a lot of groups that want to help out to donating to us monetarily than, um, rather than food. And then also that takes off a lot of work from both parties because them to carry over a couple 20, 30, 40 pounds of food and me to meet them and greet them and carry it up to our food shelf is a lot of work, whereas we get about 6,000 shipped on the same day and I have five volunteers ready to go that day. So we, we definitely prefer that method. Exactly. And when you receive food donations, it creates work for you to decide, mm -hmm. well, I have this jar of Nutella and we don't have any other Nutella, so do I put it out so that someone can yeah. take it? But then if there's only one, then what do I do about that? Or even something as simple as these brand of beans are all the same, but then we have this one can that got donated of a different brand. Yeah. So do we put it out even though it doesn't match? Exactly. Yeah. So it just takes off all that guesswork and um, yeah, we can just get back to that grocery store model is really what our goal is. So I'm so happy to hear that yours is like that too, because um, yeah, that's what you want. If you can't afford food, you still want to have that dignifying experience. Exactly. Yeah. And when people do want to give to the food shelf, like you said, we love monetary donations. Mm -hmm. Like you said, our dollar goes so much further when we purchase through Second Harvest Heartland. But then when people want to donate actual items or when a group wants to do a drive for us, we encourage them to donate household goods mm -hmm. and personal care items. We're a women's college, so we are committed to always providing menstrual hygiene products, mm -hmm. pads and tampons and things like that. But then we also ask for donations of shampoo and body wash and hand soap and dish soap and all those things, which whenever we get a big donation and we put a whole bunch out, it's gone like that. So yeah. it's definitely items that students need, even like boxes of like Ziploc sandwich yeah. bags, like a box of those can be really expensive. But then when we put them out, students are always so happy to see them and take them. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to that point of just food is not the only solution to food insecurity. It is clearly a financial issue. So if you can offset your cost and you got, you know, a couple of rolls of toilet paper and a couple of boxes of Ziploc bags, that's $10, $15 in your pocket that then you can spend on the foods that you want to choose that maybe the food pantry didn't have for you. Um, so I just think that that is a really great way to go. And um, we haven't, we haven't breached that um, area of accepting personal items. We haven't had too many donations or offers, but I know a lot of campus food pantries are doing that. Um, so that's something for us to look into, but it makes perfect logical sense when you think of it from the financial standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then I'm always less concerned about personal care items when they're donated with them, you know, being close to their expiration date mm -hmm. or, yeah. I mean, sometimes we get donations of a shampoo bottle and it's obviously like half empty mm -hmm. or I definitely went through a donation of deodorant that was older than me the other day, <laughs> but I think as a whole, it's easier to receive and store personal yes, care yeah. items. So that's why we also like to get them because you can store a box of tampons on the floor versus mm -hmm. like food safety rules say you can't keep food on the floor of a storage space, even if it's clean. So. Yeah, that's such a good point that I didn't think of since we haven't accepted those. But yeah, we don't have to worry about the dates. And I think that they're also like easier your packaging to store too. It's like everything comes in nice boxes and the floor piece. So 
Um, yeah, that's a really great way to look at it. And then there's just less, whenever anyone tries to do a food donation, I try to give them a list of, like, these are the things that we like. We like beans and peanut butter and tuna and these hearty foods. And we still get mac and cheese, which is, like, fine, but it's more nutritious you. And so mm-hmm. we're trying, we're committed to getting those foods that are harder to access and promote more um, cooking and, and eating at home and, and things like that. So it's yeah. always a struggle. And because we work out of a building that the Sisters of St. Joseph um, inhabit, live in, mm-hmm. at their workspace too, but sometimes they'll drop off groceries that they mm-hmm. bought for the food shelf, and it's so cool. And it's not always the most, like, relevant stuff. <laughs> like, one time, I think Lunds had, like, a 99-cent baked good or bakery yeah. baking things sale, so we got a whole grocery bag full of, like, bags of brown sugar and bags mm-hmm. of flour and bags of chocolate chips, and it was such an interesting donation. I was like, wow, how thoughtful, and, like, <laughs> being gracious. And, of course, like, students loved that they could get a bag of flour or someone was so excited to see the dark brown sugar, <laughs> but it's not exactly the most nutritious or it's mm-hmm. not the most useful so yeah. kind of balancing being gracious but also prioritizing what you need. Exactly. I know I struggle with that all the time. So I always try to be overly thankful. But um, And sometimes those things are nice to have. You get to think, like, especially if it's around the holidays. Now a student can have the opportunity to bake treats for their family or for their friends. And that mm-hmm. maybe is something that they have to forego. Or maybe a student is not going to a potluck and missing out on a social experience because they're ashamed that they can't bring something. And so... Um, if we can help with that, I think that's a really great way to look at it. We've talked a lot about um, like social isolation and how that has such negative health consequences. And um, and through my work with talking to the students who are food and housing insecure, it's interesting to hear their trade-offs of um, sometimes not wanting to partake in social events because they really don't want to be spending what it costs to eat a meal out or go to the movies when their finances are limited, but also not wanting to be isolated and and what that does to your health when you're chronically alone. So I just think that's another thing that's kind of interesting as we sometimes are quick to judge, you know, oh, the poor person, but they have an iPhone or they go out and do this and that. And it's like, just because they don't have, they struggle with finances doesn't mean that they should, you know, live in their own hole and not go mm-hmm. see anyone and not have any of the, you know, latest products or just nice clothes to live in and things like that. Yeah, and it's funny looking at it from the perspective of me, a student who doesn't face food insecurity, mm-hmm. and I think about if I was inviting a friend to a potluck and they told me that they couldn't afford to bring anything, I would tell them to come anyway. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't care. I would invite them to bring themselves and not worry about that, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't certainly call them out on it, but it's so interesting because I feel like that's an attitude shared by a lot of my friends of, if someone can't afford something, that's okay. Like, we're not going to exclude them, mm-hmm. but then the social stigma of, feeling ashamed that you can't afford something. Yeah, and showing up and being the only one without something. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that's interesting and in how, I, what I've noticed from some of the students that we talked to, some of them say, oh, me and my roommates are so open about it. And so they can bond and say, like, oh, yeah, we don't want to go do that. That's, you know, this many dollars and that could be this textbook. And so they're they're okay with it and comfortable, which is, is nice. But, yeah, there's some people who haven't opened up to that many people and just feel so isolated. So mm-hmm. it's working, again, on reducing that stigma and just opening up the conversation about it and saying we're all feeling this way. Exactly. Yeah. Something about our food shelf that I try to stress to students, and I've had so many opportunities to meet students mm-hmm. and talk to class groups and give tours of the food shelf. And I think every first year on campus this year knows me as the crazy food shelf girl, which is fine with me. (laughs) But something I always stress to them is that if they think they're food insecure, they probably are and they should come to the food shelf and see us and get that resource because I think, I don't know if this is universal at your campus, but I feel like there's sort of an attitude at our college with the number of women we have that 
they don't want to come mm-hmm. because they don't want to take away resources from somebody else. Yeah. And they don't want to come because they know someone else needs it more and they're not that food insecure. Mm-hmm. And it's fine, but then I want to take that away and just be like, no, if you think you're food insecure, if you're thinking about the trade-offs you have to make in one of those is nutritious food versus something else, like that's food insecurity and you should come. Yeah, I think that is so interesting and so great that you do get to talk to all the incoming students because we definitely struggle with that too, that that definition. And um, we talk about food insecurity on a spectrum of, um, yeah, some people might be going hungry every single day, but some students might be eating PB&J or ramen or skipping a couple meals every few days. And that's also food insecure. And mm-hmm. if they're constantly stressed and worried about where their next meal will come from, they should definitely come in. But um, it's clearly like such... Um, a built-in mindset that some people definitely have and so it sounds like on your campus you found a great way if you start infiltrating the minds of the first-year students it'll you know after four years everyone on campus will be aware of it um, our campus is just so huge but hearing you say that sparks m- my mind and makes me think of different ways that we could be proactive about it and then also getting the right information out I still get calls and emails sometimes of who can visit the food pantry and I'm just as shocked that anyone asks it's everyone everyone can come but mm-hmm. you're right if if maybe your only experience is going to a community food shelf where you had to prove your income, that might you might think that is the same for ours. So um, I'm definitely motivated to try to spread the word and accurate information and encourage exactly that, what you just said. If you think that you might be, you probably are. Um, and we hear that a lot, too, of people not wanting to take resources away from others um, in terms of all the different kinds of emergency resources we have. And I've even heard it about SNAP, which is formerly food stamps, we screen for it at the food pantry, and then we ask a few questions um, on the follow-up survey. And when we say, why aren't you signed up for SNAP? So many times, time after time, the responses are, there's other people out there who need it more than me, which it's an eligibility program. So as of right If you now, qualify for exactly, it, that means you need everyone it. Everyone will get it. So mm-hmm. um, just trying to educate about that and, and bring awareness to it, I think, could have such an impact. So it's really cool to hear what you're doing on your school and let's scale that to 50,000 on my campus or mm-hmm. let's see our incoming class being almost 6,000 students. And I would love to get mm-hmm. to talk to 6,000 yeah. students. I think that would be cool. Yeah. It's interesting that you said what a wide spectrum of food insecurity there is because I don't think I even realized that until I started talking to the students who come to the food shelf and hearing their own stories. And like I said, we see so many different students from all walks of life, from every program we have. So we'll have student, parent, mother of two, mm-hmm. senior year, loans just aren't stretching far enough, and that story. And then we'll have first-year student, never cooked for themselves, they have to send money home, and they're working every weekend, and all these different stories that you're hearing And I think so many people don't realize, like what you said before, that if you are skipping vegetables at the grocery store Mm -hmm. or you're trying to stretch out packets of ramen to last for a few more days because you can't go grocery shopping till payday, like that's food insecurity too. Like adequate amounts of nutritious Mm -hmm. food, reliable access, like all of those things are food security. So if you don't have one of those things, you technically are food insecure. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's not black and white. And I used to think it was black and white. And I've just seeing that challenge now every every time I'm talking to a different group of maybe faculty and staff or students um, or I'll be presenting on my data and people say, how do you know that these students are really food insecure? And it's like, it's not just a yes or no, I did this so now I am. It, yeah, there's this wide variety of, of ways that a student can struggle. And, and now from my experience of talking to these students in our task force, we've heard these stories of some students are yeah, skipping purchasing groceries so that they can buy textbooks, whereas other students are skipping on social activities so that they could eat. 
and who is it to say that? Like, where where does the line draw? Like, where do we say, oh, you know, social activity isn't important, so you're not food insecure, but they're making sacrifices and trade-offs. So it's just so much more complex than I think people really think until you start getting into the weeds of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see through thinking about that why so many college mm-hmm. students are food insecure when you have all of these factors coming into play. Yeah. With tuition and the social activities mm-hmm. that you always feel obligated to do when you're in college, you know, when your floor decides to go out for drinks or when you hear about a party mm-hmm. or when your roommate asks if you want to get pizza for dinner and all of these. It's the college experience. Yeah, it's the college expected. experience, yeah. but then all of these experiences come with the obligation mm-hmm. to spend money, which not every student has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that part is so interesting and something that I hadn't really even considered into the factor and, um, yeah, just trying to figure out where that where that resonates and lies within this broad, broad, never-ending spectrum of of food insecurity. To wrap up our conversation, I asked Rebecca if she had a favorite story or memory that she wanted to share about her time working with the Nutritious You Food Pantry. Um, The one that comes to mind is our first day of our first pilot in February when I was still a graduate student. And um, that was the day that we had anticipated maybe we would serve 400 students over the course of three days. And... um, So it was our our very first one, and we got our food delivery that morning of, which is lesson learned number one, um, get your delivery the day before. And um, our food delivery was supposed to come at 8 a.m., and it was a winter. It was winter, of course, so everything was pushed back. So I think it came sometime closer to 8.30, and we were set to open at 9 a.m., and um, I'm unloading 3,000 pounds of food in this building I'm not familiar with in the basement going through these maze hallways. and we're loading it into this, like, uh, I think it's a 12 by 14 room, a really small room. And the food is just piled high on the tables to the ceiling and out through the hallway. And at first when I see all of this at 8.30, I think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to unload this all again and take it to a different food shelf or a local um, soup kitchen because we're never going to get through it. It was so much food. And then um, close to 9 a.m., people start lining up outside the door. And at 9 a.m., the line is down the hallway of students waiting to visit this food pantry and from nine till five it was nonstop. students flooding in and taking what they needed um, and that was just overwhelming and exciting and wonderful to see all at once and I was so happy to see the turnout and the response and the the verbal comments or just the facial expressions of the students when they saw the food there that you could really tell um, how thankful students were for this and Um, It really just validated how much it was needed and validated all the years worth of planning that I had done and all the stress and the um, hours of sleep lost the night before that um, this was all worth it. And um, that really encouraged us to continue on with our second pilot and has really motivated me throughout the whole process to get to where we are now. That's awesome. Again, a huge thank you to Rebecca for not one, but two amazing conversations about food insecurity. I loved her perspective on looking upstream for the larger issues that cause food insecurity in students. If you are a student facing food insecurity, we encourage you to reach out to the resources available to you. In the description box for this podcast, I will leave links for more information about the St. Kate's Food Shelf and the Nutritious You Food Pantry. If you attend another school and are unsure of where you can receive help, some of the best places to reach out include your campus clinic or counseling service, Student Affairs Office, Residence Life, any office or department dedicated to multicultural or international students, and any student parent resource. In part two of this episode, I will be interviewing a friend of mine and fellow college student, 
who has recently faced food insecurity himself while pursuing his degree. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.